business owners likely will have only one shot to sell a business. Most don't understand what drives value and how buyers look at a business. Until now. Welcome to the How to Sell a Business podcast, where every week we talk to the subject matter experts, advisors, and those around the deal table about how to sell at maximum value. Every business will go to sell one day. It's only a matter of when. We're glad you're here. The podcast starts now. Welcome to another episode of How to Sell Your Business podcast. You know, I just finished visiting with Jim Thomas, and he, oh my gosh, it was so awesome. The the number of things that he's going to share with us about the health club industry. Now, Jim, you know, he, he's all over the internet. You'll, if you Google his name, you'll, you'll find that he's the, he's the president of Fitness Management USA, and that's a management consulting operation. And he's been doing it for 25 years. He's owned and operated and managed clubs of all sizes. And you can find him on YouTube where he's, <clears throat> where he is, um, uh, you know, sharing, sharing different lectures and, and, and seminars and workshops. You know, he, he's the guy. And since he, since forming fitness management, uh, Jim, he, he has been turning health clubs around and you'll hear this in, in our interview, just some of the, the real basic things that you just wouldn't think about. He is the guy and he's, he's been turning them around for, like I said, 25 years. And so really, I'm really excited to share this for a lot of those types of business owners. I mean, you can, as, as entrepreneurs, anybody can get, get some of the, get some nuggets from this, but especially gym owners, you know, this is a, this is a real challenge for, you know, for them that how do you sell something like this? And Jim really brought some clarity to that. So I hope you enjoy this because whether you operate a health club, fitness center, or gym, um, gym and fitness management, they have all kinds of programs. They, from, from sales and operations to brokerage and, and financing and literally everything in between. He's one of those guys that you can tell by how much, you know, the amount of information that he, that just flowed from him. You know, he's been battle tested and stress tested and he is the guy to, you know, to, to help identify value and help create a successful exit. So I, I hope you enjoy this one. This is, it was a lot of fun for me and I'm certainly, I'm certain it's going to be a lot of fun for you. I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. I teach business owners how to value and identify and remove risks in their business. So one day they can sell their business at maximum value when they want, how they want and to whom the, who they want. You know, today, today's a special day out of all I've had no hiccups in in all of my episodes with exception of one my my man Jim Thomas of fitness management and consulting we recorded and and for whatever reason it did not he didn't record and and what a gentleman 
what a gentleman to come back on the show and and re-record with me and and I am 100% certain that you are going to have just an unbelievable amount of value nuggets that uh, that he shares. So Jim, welcome to the show again. Well, once again, I am thrilled to be here. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, before the show started, I, I kind of gave an overview of of you and and what you've been into, but uh, you mind talking a little bit about fitness management and consulting? Yeah, sure, absolutely. You know, and one of the things that uh, just in, in the big picture of things, one of the things I think that really makes us unique and me unique in terms of the services provide is, you know, I'm a former gym owner. Uh, I owned eight of them, um, had four of them that I started from scratch, four of them that were acquired. And, uh, you know, one of the unique things I tell folks all the time that, you know, I'm qualified to, you know, go clean your bathroom and I can go at the same time, you know, do a review of your P&L statement and kind of everything in the middle because that job of ownership as the folks out there listening that are in that role, boy, it, it changes moment by moment. Well, it's funny you say that because in, in our practice, you know, we talk more people out of business than into business. You know, when, when they realize not only am I the CEO, but also head janitor, that, uh, that changes the dynamics of, I mean, don't we pay somebody to do this? Well, yeah, but for every dollar you do, it's a dollar out of your pocket. So, you know, take, you know, pick your poison. What, what would you prefer? So, that's it. That's right. It. <laughs> well, so, so my first question is how, how complicated the gym business is. I mean, it's not just a, a, an assemblage of assets and build it and they will come. There's a lot, there, there are many silos, little profit centers all working together to make that gym profitable or marketable or however you choose. So can you, can you just tell me a little bit about about the gym business and where where is it where do you find the profit okay and so you know it, it's interesting because folks that want to get into the business there is a tendency a little bit to oversimplify this that sure. if you build it they will come mindset kind of kind of hops in there but you know in terms of profitability i'll give you some things that we look at here okay and, and particularly with something that's new and then if it's already existing you know we have to work to kind of reach these numbers but we want to be able to negotiate a lease that at maturity i'll call that a year at maturity that lease represents on a monthly basis 15 percent of our revenue we want to be controlling our payroll to the extent that that's going to be at 40%. And so this being a very fixed cost business, we keep our rent in line, negotiate it right. And that's a challenge for some folks that have not done it. They need to get help. And and then keep our payroll in line. Now we've got a running shot. You know, I, I get in some of these that are turnaround situations and that, that rent at, you know, 40% or 50%. We can many times fix it, but there's some challenges in there. So you want to make sure you start off right. So with the rent, um, I've always, I've always thought that gyms are a destination location. So it's not necessarily, you, you need a lot of frontage. Is that, is that true or not? You know, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, when we look at locations, the way I like to look at this, you've got an A location, which is, you know, that's prime spot, you know, prime street corner, all these great things, but you pay big money for it. 
What I've always liked and what I suggest to many folks is let's look at a B location. Mm. Maybe it's pulling from that same demographic area, mm. but because it's a B location, half mile down the road, maybe even a mile, the rent is substantially lower. Now, here's the key, though, is you have to be good at, uh, at marketing. You have to be good at getting the word out. And if you're good at that, that B location is perfect. So, so the radius that you're talking about, I, if I remember right, it's like three or four miles is 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 where you're pulling or pulling your con constituents or your members. Is that right? Right or no? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna. What I was gonna say there is, is generally it's going to be about a 15 minute drive time, right? Okay. And which is about a three mile you know, radius. But here's the thing for folks to think about when they're doing this. The greater job that a gym owner does of creating differentiation, you know, providing a different product than what everybody else in the market is providing, this will expand you know, that, pull right, radius, right. that pull radius. You'll pull further, from a further distance. So <clears throat> there, there's a lot of things we're going to be thinking about here. So when you say that, though, when, you, when you're the differentiators, the different types of, are you talking different types of exercise? Like, you know, you have your, your normal, you know, the, the bodybuilder types that are, you know, just using free weights, machines, kettlebells. And then you have like CrossFit, you have Pilates, you have, I mean, what, what other, what other, uh, I suppose fitness silos are, are, are we talking about? Yeah, you know, when you start looking at differentiation, I mean, I can use some some things you see out there right uh -huh. now. Okay. Uh, without kind of naming names necessarily, there's products out there that will charge $10 a month. And you mention their name, and everybody knows oh. it's $10 a month. I get it. And that's a massive differentiation. I get it. You know, compared to most folks. You've got others, maybe they're running a women's-only operation. That is a significant differentiation. Because there's a lot of women that don't mm -hmm. want to be in that co-ed environment or won't even go in. Sure. You know, given that. You've got some that are open 24-7. You can work out at 2 in the morning if you want to. Yeah. And if you're where you have hospitals or maybe auto manufacturers, those are some, you know, good places for those. Those are some more of the uh, obvious right. uh, points of differentiation. So, so I know one of the challenges that, that, gym owners face is trying to create a community within their within the within their within the pool of members that you know that everybody kind of gets along and everybody is you know taking the same classes and they go out for beers afterwards and that kind of thing um how does an independent create that i mean i, I know crossfit crossfit kind of has that vibe where you know it, where you see the same people over and over again and we're all you know we're all in this together but how does how do you make that you know inviting atmosphere because that makes a sticky client you know absolutely it's a fabulous question maybe the question of the day because it gets back to you know attrition and you know how do you retain your customers and what you're looking for you use this word you know that sense of community mm -hmm. And in, in very simplistic terms, here's what I would suggest that any club owner want to look at. Are you treating your members 
you know, are you treating them like they are consumers? Or are you, is it a sense of community? Are, are, is, are we providing something? We're doing it for free. We're doing it to help. We're doing it to benefit them. We're a resource center to them. Or are they simply consumers? Because the big mistake that I see is we say we want a sense of community where we're going to provide all this, but the reality is we're really looking at them like they're consumers. Now, that's not to say we're not going to sell them something. We're going to have all that available. But there's a big different, there's a big mindset shift right there in terms of how you view your customer. Well, right. And, and one of the things, one of the, the nuggets that you shared, you shared, um, last time was the proactive manner in which you red flag your your clients or your your members that that are perhaps flight risks and you do some outreach to to retain them so can you circle back and and talk a little bit about about that yeah so in terms of um of retention and in keeping our members you know when when a customer comes in and i get asked this question a lot hey jim what should you say when somebody wants to cancel well Let's try to not be in that situation, first of all. And so what we suggest that any club does is every day when you come in, you want to pull a member usage report. And depending on where you're at, every club's a little bit different. But let's just say we're going to identify being an inactive member as coming in four times or less the previous 30 days. And so every day... I'm pulling a member usage report of folks that have been in four times or less. And I'm going to start making phone calls. And this is a brand new kind of CRM category. I'm going to call, and I'm calling with the idea to nurture, to help maintain interest, maintain desire, be a resource center, be a servant. Because the data tells us every interaction we have with that inactive member, they're now 20% more likely to come back in. And it's highly effective if we'll do yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll, I'll, I'll bet it is. Because if I got a, a call from my gym saying, hey, we haven't seen you we haven't seen you in a while, you you, know, you may want to think about getting your butt back to the gym. Um, you know, that that would be an interesting – that's a, certainly a differentiator. In all my years, I, I have not known anyone to – any gym owner to, to – have that type of outreach. I mean, that's not a regular thing, right? So many folks don't do it. And, and I would say, you know, the lion's share of the folks that I talk to me coming in are not doing it. And it's one of the things that we encourage because, you know, all the time and effort and money that goes to acquire a new customer to not have a similar system on the back end to save that customer you know, it's kind of crazy because ultimately what you're trying to create is this member experience right. that, you know, keeps them uh, wanting to stick around. Well, you, you made mention of of um, something I wanted to ask is is the customer acquisition cost. I mean, what and I know it probably varies between markets, but I mean, what what should it cost for you to acquire a customer? You know, it, it could be expensive if you're not careful. And <laughs> sure. he, here's what ha- here's what happens okay. is most gyms what they will do they will they will they'll, they'll set up like Google AdWords and maybe it's a three hundred dollar budget. Okay. 
And now one of the problems you have sometimes is we're not tracking that, so we don't know, right? Yeah. And, then we'll, and then we'll do some kind of a digital marketing program. And these digital campaigns, not including the actual advertising, I mean, they could cost you $1,000, you know, $1,500 a month, and maybe you get 50 good leads, and maybe 25 of those you get to talk to, and maybe you sign up 12. So it can get expensive yeah. if that's all you're doing. But see, that's where really you have to understand all the moving parts here because there's a lot of things that are going to cost you <coughs> little or nothing. Member referral programs, uh, former member programs, you know, that I call alumni. And I, I give you an interesting stat, Ed. You know, there's currently more former members in the U.S. than there are current members. Really? And, and that's not really pandemic-related. Sure. It was that way before the pandemic. There's just that huh. much of a churn. But, but the beauty of it is most folks will look at them and kind of ignore it. But it, that former members, like your number two source of new members, behind referrals. I had no idea. And so you want to have both of this. You want to have this, what I call that boots on the ground, that guerrilla marketing, and then you want to have your paid marketing. You want to get that acquisition cost down. Well, I'll tell you, if, if, if a gym owner can calculate and identify where their customers are coming from and how much it costs to acquire them, they're, I, I can tell you they're miles ahead of the, the, the next the next guy because they'll survive. You, you, you know what happens on that a little bit huh. is, you know, on some of this, because we don't understand the sales process, hmm. there's a tendency to charge very little to get started. And maybe it's just month to month where it's, it's easy to, to kind of leave. And you could literally have situations, if you're not careful, if you're not monitoring this on all ends and how you're doing it, is you actually don't make money until month number four in some cases. Yeah, that yeah, and that hurt. I I, I got involved with the club one time. They they were losing maybe twenty thousand a month and they were doing big enrollments and they could not understand it. I went in and did the math on it. Turns out they were losing money up front every time they signed somebody up. Really? And we and we had to cut out certain things they were doing their dollar volume dropped, but their profit margin went yeah. up. And that's that's funny. You, uh, I was getting ready to ask you, but because we we fight that a lot. That you know, I I really don't care about the top line. I really care about your bottom line. So however however you make you know your machine profitable, I mean, and if it's repeatable, pal, you've got a sellable business all day long. Yes, absolutely. So. Who are the typical buyers buying gyms these days? You know, we did one recently. It was a gentleman who was uh, living in the Midwest. Uh, I think he was an insurance agent, and he was freezing cold up there. <laughs> and uh, he, he bought a gym down in Florida. <laughs> well, so it's so it's a it's a lifestyle business. I mean, it's so we 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 view it as you know you have financial buyers that are basically replacing the the ownership and they're going to sleep eat and breathe it as you know a lifestyle and then you start moving into people that are looking at this as more of an investment so in your practice i mean what what are you seeing more of the guys that are looking to buy it as an investment and have somebody run it or somebody that's kind of changing gears and and moving more into a lifestyle 
Yeah, nine times out of ten, it's someone who's going to buy it and run it themselves. Okay. And of course, you know, we'll help direct them a bit where you don't you don't want to get anchored to what you're doing there. But more often than not, that's really the buyer uh, that we're talking to. I got it. So with that type of buyer, and we spoke about it before. Where where do you where you know this is a layup for you, but where um, where are you finding those buyers? You know, many times, you know, they'll find us in a sense in terms of, you know, going to our websites and, you know, hearing me speak and hearing me talk and existing operations. I'll tell you what's interesting, our broker division, how that originally got started. We've been doing it for quite some time. But how it originally got started was clients would say to me, hey, Jim, I think it's time to sell. And I wasn't really involved in doing that at the time. And I said, well, yeah, we need to find you a broker if that's what you want to do. And they said, oh, no, 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 Jim. We know you. <laughs> we, we trust you. Right. We want you to do Good it. Good for them. And that's really how it led to that. So existing clients, you know, people that are search us out, um, I mean, they'll find us. I mean, through you know, we do our own email marketing, social media marketing, you know, things of that. We'll get folks that, you know, hey, Jim, I don't know if you remember me, but we talked about two years ago. <laughs> no, hundred percent. I, I I get the, I get the same. But so so, what's the success ratio? I mean, it, like for example, the you know the industry average on on all businesses is about a twenty twenty five percent success ratio to to sell their business, which to me is is absolutely dismal. And and uh, you know, there's a there there can be a number of reasons why deals don't go together, but. I know size matters. You know, the the more sophistication, the more likelihood that the that the um, seller will withstand any kind of financial scrutiny from in due diligence. But I mean, what wh- what are you seeing as far as the, you know the likelihood of transitioning a, a gym? I think your numbers are pretty dead on. Um, I find that uh, at least half the gyms never sell. They don't even get off the launching pad. And in large part, it's because they're overpriced. The The owner has not valued it properly. You know, they, they, they put value into blood, sweat, and tears, and they don't. They can't yeah. come to gr- the grasp of the reality. It's about cash flow. Yeah. So, yeah, boy, that, that – and again, it's, it's across all industries. Valuation is always the – Always the challenge. I, I have I have been called the Grim Reaper of business valuation, and and I get it. I mean, you you don't want to hear, you don't want to hear that perhaps your what you've worked and sacrificed for is not as appealing as y- you might think to a a, a third party. Um, right. So so how are you coaching them to make more of a saleable business? Well, there's a, there's a few things, and actually, you know, we actually just uh, took on a recent client like this. They were looking to sell. They wanted to, to kind of get out, but it just didn't, we didn't even really do a valuation. We could look at the numbers pretty quick, and we could pretty well tell them this was not going to be a successful you know, sure. attempt at doing this. It was pretty significant, and you know, we had you know, a few conversations, and so what are we in the process of doing? We're in the process of growing the sales. 
We're in the process of growing the revenue. We're in the process of training the staff. We're in the process of, it depends on where you're at financially, but we want to keep the gym looking as new today as the day that it opened. And so if you're short on if you're short on funds, maybe we'll put out some new carpet, we'll paint some walls, you know, we'll do some different things. But we're, we're, we're trying to bring this thing back up because if your sales are trending up, right, right. and you've got, you know, good staff in place, you know, I, I kind of jokingly tell folks, this is how you sell your business for more than it's worth because, right. you know, you're, you're trending up and there's opportunity here. You know, you couldn't even give the darn thing away if it's losing money. So a lot of challenges that the business owner faces when, when you bring in like, Hey, if you, if you have the runway and you're willing to, you know, give me a year, two years or, or whatever, you know, I'm telling you, you can make another turn on your multiple. So I guess my question is it, I mean, how, when someone hires you, how, and I know it depends on the, the scope of what you're doing, but how quickly can you start seeing return, uh, on that investment? Because I know that's probably real hard for, especially gyms that are struggling. You know, it's hard to, to take that, you know, what they are making and, and plow it back into, into consulting. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I get, it's an interesting question because it's not as difficult as you might think to start seeing results quickly. Okay. And there's a couple reasons for it. Number one is a lot of these folks, when the business is trending down, uh, they're not maybe doing everything they should or could be doing, right, to make it work. Mm-hmm. And one of the common things that I'll do in nearly every situation is we'll do an analysis of the existing assets, the website, how you answer the phone, your sales process, your referral process. These are things they're already spending money on, so we're not spending more money. We're just doing a better job with what they already have. I mean, something as simple as putting Facebook Messenger on their website. Yeah. Can get you a sale a day. Yeah, I remember you saying that. I, I I could not believe that that was that that was the low lying fruit you were talking about. That that um, that Facebook Messenger. I I totally I I can totally see it. You know, and because I I asked you what you know what 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 in the world is someone going to ask on Facebook Mark or on uh, Facebook Messenger, and you're like. Well, that's a real easy one. You know, what are your hours? How long are, you know, what's the, what's the pricing structure? You know, what's the classes and so on and so forth. And, and I, I, once you said it, I totally understood it. Um, but I, I, I'm with you. I, I didn't, I, I think you're right that there is a lot of opportunity with little to no expense outside of the cons, the consulting cost because you're already you're not adding layers you're just fixing the what's broke that's it and there's one simple secret to it for these folks that we talk to they have to be ready to make a change yeah that's always uh that's always the hard that's the one simple that's the one simple key to it if that's in place really sky's the limit and you can almost start having some results day one believe it or not just because it is it's simplistic kind of things things like Getting a referral, or heck, maybe putting out a press release, right? <laughs> you know, right. does the media even does the media even know you're there? And these none of these things. <coughs> no, that's right. I, I that's a that's a 
a, I don't want to say a funny one, but that that's interesting that you you had you know that it, it can go that quick if you have you know I don't want to say if you just just believe, but if you you know if you're willing to to buy in or give it thirty sixty days, you know you can you can recoup that cost associated with with you know the the consulting. I get it. Um, I meant to, I don't think I asked you last time, but what's he, what's easier to run and operate a co-ed gym or an all women gym? Oh, you know, from a process standpoint uh-huh. and everything you look at, they're identical. I, I think okay. the key is that, you know, where, where's your passion? I've owned both of them. Actually, yeah. I've owned women. Owned, I, I've owned that's why I'm asking. Facilities, and, and I've had co-ed facilities. I, I found them no different. Now, I will say this. In the co-ed facility, your cost is a little higher because your equipment cost is higher because you're having to buy heavier equipment because the guys are lifting some real heavy stuff. Okay. Whereas the women aren't really lifting at that level of, of, of weight training and things like that. But uh, to me, they're identical. I think it's where your passion is and, uh, and what you like. I'm personally a fan of of the, the women's only business. I'm a little surprised you don't see more of it out there. I think it really would open up a marketplace to a lot of folks that are not currently attending facilities. Well, I think, uh, and I don't know if it, it was in your neck of the woods, but we, we had, um, uh, curves. I, I, I th- uh-huh. I, and so they kind of evaporated and I don't know what happened to them, but I know that kind of, that kind of, was in your same bailiwick of, you know, of, um, women, you know, that, that women owned or women, you know, businesses that are geared toward women would be successful. So I don't know what exactly happened. You know, it's interesting on those guys and I I was never really involved with them and they, they were, they were just, you know, South of where I'm at here a little bit, but, um, in large part, a lot of that growth on that type of operation, it came in these communities that were maybe under 200,000 people where it was easy to get a low rent. It was easy to advertise, easy to market. Okay. And a lot of those places, you know, 100 members, you know, maybe 200 members and it worked. And as they started hitting, you know, okay, we're kind of full. We need to expand. And now all of a sudden we're going to uh, go into Los Angeles and Dallas and Atlanta. Uh, the rents were much higher. I got it. You had much more competition, and it, it didn't lend itself to who their customer was at franchise or. I get it. Um, that wasn't who it was. Well, you since since I I brought up the the franchise, so I we talked men and men and coeds. So franchise versus independent. Which I don't want to say which is better, but I mean, what in your consulting, what are you seeing as? Um, the superior, you know, is there is there that much difference? I guess is my well, that's where I'm you going. know, that, that's I, I, I'm a little bit. I try to actually compete against those franchises. Okay. I mean, I'll actually that's part of my marketing: no franchise fees, no long term contracts, right. no no royalties, because bring a consultant on, just pay for what you need, yep. and you stay in in uh, in control of your business. Whereas the franchise are going to dictate a little bit to you. So now we work with a lot of franchises, but the folks that come to me by and large, they want to maintain control and they'll just say, Hey Jim, teach me how to do it. And I'll go out there and do it, but they're all good. I mean, for a folks. And one of the things, if you're doing something really big, 
you know, the franchises are nice because SBA likes those kind of things sure. because they've got that kind of seal of approval that's a proven system on it. Yeah. Well, but again, it's back to the the system. You know what I mean? That, all right, I, I, I'm, I don't mean to, to not – I don't mean to imply that it's not complex, but after you get the system, what's left other than just add gas or revenue, you know? And it just seems, it just seems that, you know, I, I just don't, I don't want to say I don't see the value. I just don't see the long-term value. Yeah, I mean, it's like anything that you're doing, everything has to evolve. Right. I mean, everything is going to change. I mean, you can look at when I was building them to what they are now. Heck, I can look at my consulting business and what it is today and what it was 10 years ago. I mean, it's night and day difference. You know, the business has to evolve. But, you know, it can't just be you know, membership revenue, you know, whatever those other ancillary sources are going to be, personal training, supplementation, uh, retail, your whole online component, there's really no shortage of growth. And, you know, just kind of, you know, business 101, you know, the three things you look at is we have to acquire more members, more clients, right? Make more sales. We have to get more money per customer and we have to get them to buy more often. And we've got to, what amounts to everybody in our marketplace has to know who we are. Okay. And if we don't do that, you know, we're going to struggle. But when everyone knows who we are, what a great competitive advantage. Sure. And now you're dominating. And that's what you're trying to do. You're not trying to compete. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's, it's funny. Sam. So the, my wife was talking about, you know, what appeals to her to at a gym and, the funny thing is that her and, you know, her little group, you know, it's about the cleanliness of the facility, not necessarily, you know, the hours. I mean, it's nice that they have equipment and this, that, and the other, but it's like the cleanliness, you know, is this a, is this a dump to go to the bath, you know, go into the bathrooms, which to me is another, you know, I don't want to say low lying fruit, but if you look at the funny thing is if you look at Google reviews or, um, you know, some of the other review sites, one of the primary complaints you see has to do with cleanliness and hygiene and, and things like that. So I, I think that's a, another area to, to consider, you know, low lying fruit. You know what I mean? You know, it's interesting that when, when we're opening new facilities, you know, probably 80% of your finish out dollars. To, to finish that new facility, uh-huh. 80% of it is going to go into your front desk reception area and into your locker oh, rooms. Wow. Yeah. And, and from a <coughs> selling, from a selling perspective, you know, we want that front desk to have that wow factor when they walk in because yep. that's, what's going to grab them. But to your point on cleanliness, that locker room, it needs to be pristine. Yep. It needs to be as clean as what you have at home because that locker room, from a cleanliness standpoint, is one of the number one things that's going to affect your member attrition. Yeah, and and I mean it totally makes sense. I I just never really, you know, you pay attention when it's not clean, and and you don't give any thought to it when it when it's, you know, when it is. And, right. And yeah. So, all right. Well, switching gears to, you know, like you, you know, we've got some. You know, businesses that are that that just aren't going to make it, and 
you know, some of, some of it's self-inflicted, some of it's co- competition. So how does a business owner wind down the business and make as much as they can on the way out? Knowing that, you know, perhaps there's a personal guarantee on that, uh, on that lease. Perhaps there's some, some leases on the equipment, but how, how can I, you know, I don't want any cheese, but I want out of the trap. How do, how do I do that? You know, what we, we've used these strategies, you know, we used them heavily during the pandemic for existing operators. Okay. And I want to answer this a couple different ways because the, the rub there a little bit is that personal guarantee on that lease. Now, some of this will depend on that relationship, um, you know, we have with the landlord, you know, I don't, if, whether you filed bankruptcy or not, there, there's some things in there that sure. can have some effect on that. But with that said, we've had a lot of situations where we've helped club owners unwind. They're getting out of the lease and they're simply, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and shut it down. Well, here's the reality. Number one, they can and should sell that member base to a local club. Oh, yeah. And it's, a, it's really a simple process. It's a three-way agreement between the two owners and whoever the building company is. It's a pretty simple process. And for the club that's acquiring it, it can be done for no money out of pocket. And so you want to sell that. But there's other assets that you have. You might have some equipment if it's not on a lease. You might have some equipment. Mm-hmm. But what you have also, you've got website URLs that likely have some SEO attached to them. Someone's following that. Yep. You know, point those to yours. One of the great ones that I've always loved is, hey, we want the phone number. We're going to point that phone number over to our place. You know, we want member lists, renewal lists, guest lists, former member lists. We want all that. We want social media. We want your YouTube channel. There's value in all of this. So, and there's so much, of, so much of a tendency because they don't know how to do it just to walk away from all that. So how do I... Yeah, so I'm the, but I'm the business owner. I'm like, all right, I, I follow all that. I, these are a great list. But how how do I, how do I value that? I mean, what what is, you know, and and I'm not a fan of rules of thumb at all. Um, but I'm but I'm I'm putting myself in the shoes of the business owner, and I'm like, all right, Jim, that's great, but you know, what's my what's my website worth? What's that URL? Okay. Yeah, and usually URLs, um, uh, phone numbers, member lists, that's going to push the multiple up or down. Okay. Okay. And so let's just say, for example, let me grab a, a calculator here. And let's just say I've got a facility and I've got $20,000 a month coming in okay. in recurring fees. Generally speaking, I'm going to just take that times three. And that's the value of that, $60,000. Okay. And how you allocate it. Okay. Right. I'm sorry. I... And then we'll, we'll, we'll work the deal right now. However, I did it on a multiple of three. But you know what? If I've got a good URL, if I can get their phone number, if there's some good reviews out there that I can grab on, on Google My Business or I can grab member list, maybe I take that multiple to four. Okay. Maybe I take it to five. Maybe there's some good personnel that might come along with it. Maybe there's personal training that might come along with it. it. This will all do that, but I would start it at three. I got three. so And then kind of go up or down depending on circumstances. All right. The, it, is there, 
okay, so so that addresses the goodwill and the intangible assets, or or, or does that include the the equipment that's in the facility? Yeah, that would generally include everything. Okay. At least at least that's where we would start. For the most part, used fitness equipment does not have significant value. Yeah, that's where I was going with it because I'm I'm certain some of some of the people are like, yeah, I don't I don't want your, I don't need I don't need another Smith machine in in the facility. So let's just. Uh, but I am interested in your customers and and guest lists and things. Yeah, the the intangibles. So. Okay, so they, so you can, so that three multiple really could be the, um, just for the intangible assets. And then if you're picking up equipment can go up higher, but, but at the same time, I, I'm, I think I'm putting words in your mouth and let me back, back that up a little bit because you said the three typically includes equipment and I get it. And so I'm, I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to. To, to kind of go yeah, it, it, I mean, it can vary. It's, it's really, I mean, over the years, you know, I don't know if any one deal's ever been the same, right? Yeah. I mean, they're all they're all a little bit different. So, just depends on circumstances. And I mean, there's some folks that they just can't wait to cut the deal so they can get the heck out of the room. Right. <laughs> and there's others that no, we need to figure this out. I get you. So, one of the things that struck me in one of our original conversations was that you were doing deals. Financing and sourcing, so that's a different animal. I mean, from the lenders that I've worked with, yeah, I don't want to say that they they're they aren't stoked about getting a, a gym on the bank's portfolio, but but uh, you know that takes a real special bank or special lender to you know to get their arms around what all is is going on especially when you're talking about recurring you know the recurring revenue and the attrition of members i mean there's some risk to the bank so can you talk a little bit about the, that financing and structuring and how are you doing it yeah let me give you the two ways that we do it and we look at it from a, a new gym startup okay. and then from an existing operation and so from a new gym startup it's really it's simply, you know, personal financing. As long as they have uh, a credit score of 680 or better in all three bureaus, okay. and as long as they have a minimum income of 50000 per year, and there's going to be some other sure. underlying things, but those are the key criteria, they can get funding for up to $400,000 to start a new business. And for the lion's share of new businesses being started in the fitness industry, that's more than enough. They may, not, they may only need half that. Uh, so that works. Now, for existing operations, uh, of course, they have to improve their own business. But the, the way that works, it's a simple process, is we need to see the most recent 90-day uh, bank statements. Okay. And it's simply, hey, what's the, what's the differential in there between you know, the revenue that's coming in and what the expenses are? And can you afford a new payment? What would that payment look like? And they can get funding. Gosh, they could get funding for up to two million dollars if they if that spread was big enough. And so it's not necessarily the industry. It's more just about hey, we want to see you know history of revenue. The longer the history, the better. Um, and we want to see that um, that it's working for you. So what's the what's if I'm buying uh, a gym? What's my downstroke? Is there a, a percentage or no? Well, not necessarily. Uh, if you can uh, finance it all out, if I'm going to say I'm going to go buy something and I'm not, I'm, I'm not in business, 
And so I'm going to go get a personal loan, and I've got a I've got a place over here I can buy for three hundred thousand uh-huh. dollars, and you know I go out here and I qualify for three hundred thousand, I buy it and I make my payments back, and oh, so everybody's happy. so you can you can do it without any any equity out of your own pocket. That's what you're saying. You can, you can, and you can, and so this isn't falling under the SBA. This is just sources that you have. Yes. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. You know, the challenge with that, SBA is a great source, but mm-hmm. sometimes it can take a long time, and there's a lot of paperwork, and we're looking for short time and not much paperwork. <laughs> Aren't we all? Um, <laughs> what is uh, the turnaround time? So I, I submit, you know, here's my purchase agreement. Here's three years of tax returns. You're going to run my credit. Now what happens? Oh, if, if you're buying a brand-new deal, and uh, everything really checks out. I need to see your FICO scores. The higher, the better, yeah. by the way. Um, and I've got U.S. tax returns. You could probably be funded within a week. Really? Because yeah. in my world, time kills all deals. Well, I, I, you know that you're in the same. You're in the same. Time kills deals. Absolutely. Wow. It's one of the all-time great truisms. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So you can do no money down. Assuming you have a great credit score and it would take a week to fund, boy, that's a that out of yeah. And and, and and here's the thing too that I would even anyone who's looking to sell, say you have someone who wants to buy and say they're struggling doing that, they don't have the credit score, yeah, then they can't qualify. So yeah, you got a problem, right? But you know, for a, a forward-thinking seller maybe do some kind of a down payment, do some owner financing. And then maybe a balloon in six months, you know, give that buyer a chance to get his credit score up and come back in here and take you out. Oh, that's a good idea. So, so what I heard you say is, you know, go ahead and, and, and do the deal, have a, have a, a structure. So basically you're talking about refinancing them out for, for doing the, the deal. I guess if I'm, if I'm a seller though, I'm sitting there going, boy, you know, I, I'm not certain what happens if what's going to induce this guy to refinance, you know, what, I guess you, you well, could structure it, it as painful as possible, but yeah, it's a balloon. Yeah. I mean, balloon in six months, you got to refinance, but a, if you've got a, a, a good buyer, yeah. it just circumstances can't do it. But here's, here's a couple things that we suggest here. A, whoever your billing company is, uh-huh. We're going to have that billing company, this is again another one of those three-way agreements, we're going to have that billing company, say that new owner is going to make you a payment every month of, let's just say it's four grand a month. Uh, we're going to have the billing company send it directly to you at the beginning of the month. I got it. We're not going to have it pass through the new buyer. It's going to go straight to you, so you make sure that yep. you get it. Nice. Plus, we want to see that new owner's P&L statements every single month nice. until they refinance this and take me out. Nice. Yeah, what a. And so we're going to stay on it because if I did have to take it over, which hopefully that didn't happen, at least we know where we're at and we can go in there and put our foot on the accelerator and make this thing work. So, do you, uh, I mean, are, are you doing a lot of deals as far as uh, the financing side? Oh, gosh. Well, with financing deals, gonna, it's a regular thing. I was going to say, it's, boy, it's, that sounds like. It's regular. That sounds like. And, and anybody can use you or do you have to be a consulting client? Uh, no, anybody, as long as it's uh, U.S., you know, they have to have U.S. credit scores and U.S. tax returns. I get it. 
Uh, that's the thing. And, you know, just to tease a little bit, we've got some more stuff coming up. So maybe if you and I talk down the road, we got even some bigger news coming up on some of this financing. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, it. some of the uh, alternative financing sources are going to make a small fortune with, uh, especially if the economy turns on us, you know, that. You bet. And, and, and the, the, I tell you one of the challenges, you know, it, it's interesting when I talk to people about this, because most of them, they've been looking around, trying to do things, and they just can't understand it, can't figure it out. And just when they engage with, with me or, or somebody like me, they can really just simplify it. Mm-hmm. Here's exactly how it works. They can get that, you know, that, that trust in there. And it can happen so quick and so easily for folks. And they don't have to, you know, really be fretting over it. Yeah. Well, I I look forward to seeing what what else is up your sleeve because I mean you know you've been you've been a leader in the in the in this industry for so many years and you know if you do any kind of research you, you your name just keeps on coming up so I look forward to it. You bet. All right, so so I've I've not only have I made you record twice. I'm going to ask you the same question that we concluded with the last time and see if it changed. So. I conclude every interview with, you know, what's the one piece of advice that you could give listeners that would have the most immediate impact on their business? What would it be? The number one problem that I see in the fitness industry is a failure to properly understand and implement sales and marketing. Okay. And nothing else is even close. Coming up right behind us, that issue of retention, but we can't retain them if we don't get them. <laughs> right on. So okay. sales and marketing is the, the biggest problem across the board. Okay. So what is the best way people can find you? I mean, I it's it, it's a fairly easy – I can tell you, as a, as, as a guy that found you, I can assure you it is pretty easy to, to, to find you. You're at the top of pretty much all the searches. Yeah, you go out, you Google fitness management and consulting, Jim Thomas, you're – you should find us, but you know, go to our website fmconsulting.net, and you'll, you'll get a host as a host of information, a lot of free information there for you, you know, to help you grow your business. Yeah, you have a and you have a, a really robust YouTube channel, and we'll have all of this all of this in the show notes. So, so don't worry about it. if you you were unable to uh, to take notes, it'll be it'll be there. And uh, Jim, boy, I, I, I times two. I appreciate so much, uh, so much of your time, and uh, as always, it was it was awesome. Great value nuggets. You bet. I appreciate being here, and uh, I look forward to doing it again sometime. <laughs> well, this time I think we recorded, so uh, it, it, we'll we'll do it in a few months. We'll do a follow up when you like when you're uh, when you're when the new financing packages come out. Oh, I'll keep you posted. We're day to day on getting that done. All right, buddy. I look forward to it. Thanks so much, Jim. All right. Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today on the How to Sell Your Business podcast. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to help sell your business for the maximum value, visit howtosellabusinesspodcast.com for tips and best practices to make your exit life-changing. Better yet, subscribe now so you never miss future episodes. This program is copyrighted by MISO Inc. All rights reserved.